Now, um, back to John 6. Uh, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, a couple of three weeks ago, that we were, we were at the heart of the, of the chapter, and boy, are we ever. So you follow now as I read uh, more of this, this glorious statement that Jesus makes, um, or it's actually several of them. I'll begin at verse 30, and I'll end in verse 40, and it reads like this. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you, may, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son believes in him and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this, this endures forever. Guys, in the course of uh, Jesus' three-year ministry, he said many things that bothered the audience to which he spoke. But very few times does he say things that are so offensive to the crowd to which he's speaking. We read here, after this conversation is over, the, um, the audience said in verse 60, they said, well, this is a very hard truth. And then in verse 65, we're told that many of the disciples withdrew and walked with him no more because of the truths that I just read to you. Things that this audience found offensive. Now, guys, uh, theological types like me, uh, and I consider myself a real amateur when it comes to theology uh, compared to some of the great minds that that are out there as theologians but if you're theologically driven like I am um, you like to exegete things you like to you like to deduce and you like to um, assimilate and and then make bold announcements you like to you like to show people things that are in the text that they've not seen before and watch them as they marvel at the genius of God but folks, um, <clears throat> there, there are times when none of that is really necessary, none of that is really needed, but there are times when it is. And I, I believe that this text uh, 
require some of that insight into what all is going on in this little paragraph. For example, um, let's take the issue of the deity of Christ. Folks, you know what deity means? It means that, uh, that, that Jesus was God, the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. That's been debated for centuries. It's still being debated uh, in, in theological circles. I would suggest to you that it is taught several places in this passage that I just read you. For example, or a case in point, verse 35. Did you notice the I am, the bread of life? Do you see that I am? Folks, I know you can't see it well in the English, but in the Greek, that's that New Testament formula, ego me. It's the New Testament version of the statement that's made in Exodus 3, when God names himself Yahweh, which is a verb, which translated means I am. Well, Jesus picks that up and applies it to himself here in verse 35. This is a claim to deity, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is Jesus saying that the God of Exodus 3 in that burning bush scene that God is me. Now, that's bad English. I, I know I'm supposed to say is I. But, but that God of Exodus 3 is me. It's I. I am Yahweh. Yahweh is me. That's a, that's a claim to deity that Jesus is making. And, and, and there's several others in this passage. But the one that really grabs me, the one that really kind of stands out to me is not really that theological. It's, it's more subjective. It's more visceral in nature. L- let, me, let me show you what I mean. Gang, this chapter has been a running dialogue with a group of people that Jesus fed as the chapter opens, you may recall. These people have run all around the Sea of Galilee looking for him. Because they got a free meal out of him. And they want some more free meals. And so when they finally find him, this group that has just eaten at his largesse, you know, he took that little basket of food and multiplied it and fed 5,000, 10,000, 12,000, whatever, 20,000, whoever, it doesn't matter. When they finally find him, what do they say? What they say is, Hey, hey, um, what sign are you going to do now? You know, um, do something now that's got a real kapow to it, you know? Really, really grab us with one. What do you say? Um, gang, uh, maybe you didn't see this. I read it, but there's this, there's this hint this hint of comparison between Jesus and Moses. You know, uh, Moses uh, fed us out in the wilderness uh, for, uh, you know, it was two million of us then, and, and he fed us for 40 years. I mean, you only really fed us once, and um, it was only 5,000. I mean, you're really not that, bad, not that big of a deal. 
But, um, I mean, if you were to perform some kind of sign, I mean, really a zinger, you know, then that might change our opinion of you. If you could really give us a big one. Now, here's my point. Had they done that to me, I would have said, oh, you want a sign, do you? Well, how about this one? Whoosh. I've had enough of you people. You, 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 I just fed you and you went, what? And you compared me to Moses. Then he says, you know, it wasn't Moses that gave you that food. It was my father, which, by the way, is another claim to deity. Um, this, this idea that you are uh, trying to suggest that what I did and what Moses did, you know, I've had it with you. That, that I, I'm done. I'm moving on from you. Um, and yet what you see him doing is suffering long. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that, in my mind, is an evidence of deity. You see, deity is not petty like me. Deity is, has nothing to prove. Not to them, not to anybody else. And so, as he deals with this very obnoxious crowd. That's where I see his deity standing out the clearest. <clears throat> um, you, um, you read in verse 33 where he says, the bread of God. Did you notice this when I read it earlier? The bread of God is he. The bread of God is a person. Um, the, the bread of God is a he. It's not something that you chew up. The bread of God is a person. And ladies and gentlemen, it's like they're, he's talking to a brick wall. They don't get it. They say, um, well, Jesus, could you, uh, could you give us this bread always? they say you know it reminds me of that woman in at the well you know in john 4 and jesus is carrying on this conversation with her and and he says you know you got five husbands you've had five husbands but the man that you're living with now is not your husband and she says sir i just perceive that thou art a prophet <laughs> well yeah yeah I, I am and 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 it's the same kind of response Oh, oh, the bread of God. Oh, you know, you never get hungry. Oh, well, then give us that bread. Would you, would you give us that bread that, uh, you know, give us that bread always. And then he drops the hammer in verse 35 when he says, I am. Now, folks, you may have missed that when, um, when I read it. But his audience didn't miss it. I am the bread of life. The bread that you really need is me. I, 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 I give you bread with deity in it. 
but they are oblivious to what they're being told. Which brings us to verse 37. The beauty of which is hard to overstate, ladies and gentlemen. May may I read it for you? Just verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let Let me say two things about that verse. First of all, guys, did you notice that Did you notice who is behind this grand scheme of redemption? It's the Father. Folks, before I ever became Jesus's, I was the Father's. The Father gave me to the Son. The one who is the the author of this grand scheme of redemption is the Father. You see, the, the Son came to do his Father's will. And what was his father's will? To save people like us. Folks, the cross is not an illustration of the love of God. It's an illustration of the justice of God. If you want an illustration of the love of God, here it is. The sending of the Son For God so loved the world that he (laughs) gave his only begotten son. The cross illustrates his justice and is an offense against sin. But the sinning of the son. that That was an act on the part of the father to save his people. Folks, God didn't love me. Because Christ died for me. Christ died for me because the Father loved me. Christ's death didn't make God love me. God loved me. And so his son had to die for me. Folks, the, the, the... the, the, the author, the originator of this scheme of redemption that you and I enjoy is the Father, all that the Father gives to me. Now, the other thing about this verse that I want you to see is that there are two sentences here. Actually, there's one sentence with two halves. Um... Some people, when they read verse 37, are captivated by the first part of the sentence. This this high doctrine, this security of the covenant, this Father's plan to save, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Others, when they read this sentence, they are captured by the second half of the sentence. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But gang... What often happens is that those two halves of that sentence are divorced one from the other. Gang, do you remember that that story in um, about Solomon? It was in 1 Kings 3 about Solomon was the wisest who ever lived. And so one day, to demonstrate his wisdom, these two prostitutes had two, two babies. 
And uh, at, at, at nighttime, one of them died and the one mother gets up and, and exchanges the dead baby for the live baby. And, and so they, they, they squabble over whose baby is the live baby. So they bring the one live baby to Solomon. One mother says, that baby's mine. And the other mother says, uh, no, 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 that baby's mine. And so Solomon says, um, well, I, I know how to solve this. We'll just cut the baby in half and give you half and give you half. But you can't do that, now can you? Because to cut the baby in half is to kill it. What I'm saying is to cut this statement in half is to kill it. Both halves must be kept in, in, our, in, in mind. Gang, you who love the second half of this sentence must not be afraid of sovereign grace. And you who love sovereign grace cannot be afraid to face the free offer of the gospel. Now, because the elective decrees of God are, are bound up in his own inscrutable will, those are better discussed over eight hours rather than eight minutes. So for my remaining time, I want us to focus on the, the second half of that whole sentence of verse 37. That free offer of the gospel that is found in verse 37. In that second half of the sentence, it describes a necessary act, a, a, a movement, an action it's describing the indispensable necessity of faith. It says, whoever comes to me. Whoever comes, not whoever gets baptized or whoever joins. There are no adjectives, there are no adverbs to describe how one comes. That is, whoever comes humbly, or whoever comes correctly, or whoever comes rightly. It doesn't say any of that. It simply says, whoever comes. There's no fine print. It's just, whoever comes. The only qualifier is the where. Whoever comes to me. And whoever comes to me. My friend, if you're a whoever, if you're a part of the group called whoever, then whoever comes to me. There's no age limit. You know, there's this statistician in the Christian church that says that 85% of the people who are Christians come to know Christ before the age of 17. Well, that may be true, but it's not in this text. You cannot be too young. You cannot be too old. Because if you are part of the whoever... If you come, 
you will never be cast out. Um, oh, but Dr. Young, I, I, I'm afraid that I, have, that I have committed the unpardonable sin. Well, my dear friend, listen to me. If you come to Christ, you haven't. That is, your coming to Christ indicates that whatever it was that you did that you're so ashamed of wasn't the unpardonable sin. Because whoever comes to Christ will not be cast out. Oh, but I do not feel fit to come to Christ. Then come unfit! Whatever your past sin, whatever your past sin, if you come to Christ, you will not be cast out. No exclusions, no exceptions. Coming to Christ means certain things are left behind. My sin and my self-righteousness. But whoever comes to Christ will not be refused. You can go to law, you can go to ritual, you can go to priest, you can go to doctrine, and there you will perish. But if you come to Christ... you will never be cast out. Guys, there's, there's something in verse 37 that I've been waiting for three weeks to say to you. There's something in verse 37 that you cannot see in the English, but you can see it in the Greek. I even brought my Greek New Testament. I'll show it to you afterwards if you'd like to see it. There's something in that statement that does not get represented in any Greek translation, and it's this. There are two nevers. There are two pieces of negation in verse 37. It is as if the Son of Man says, whoever comes to me, I will never, no, never, cast them out gang imagine the son of man going out of his way to emphasize the never there are no ifs in verse 37 but there are two Nevers. I will never. No, never. The only, the only qualifier is the where. Whoever comes. To me, 
You know, guys, the, the New Testament teaches that there is only one mediator between God and man, not two. But whoever comes to that mediator, whoever comes, says Jesus, to me, will never, no, never. If, if and when you come, it must be to me. And stay with me. Your coming to Christ proves that the Father gave you to Him. I discover that God gave me to Christ by my coming to Christ. Because you see, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. If I go to him, that simply demonstrates that the Father gave me to him. I discover that the Father has loved me from all eternity when I come to Christ. You say, surely there's got to be more than just that, Jimmy. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, if there were, grace would not be free. It would not be a gift if you have to do something to earn it. The invitation is to whoever comes to me. I will not cast him out. That would be unthinkable. I will never, not ever, cast him out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as for verses 39 and 40, there is so much beauty in them. I want to read them to you again. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Folks, do you see the sent one, that is Christ, the sent one is explaining why his father sent him. The father sent his son to make sure that those who came to Christ get resurrected into God's presence to enjoy that presence 
forever. The only way to make certain that the Father would have in his presence those whom he has loved from all eternity is to send his Son and his Son would accomplish all that was necessary to make sure that all that the Father gave him would ultimately end up in his presence forever. And then, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Folks, I just got back from India. And though quite spotty, I could um, stay in touch with things that were unraveling here at Grace, that were taking place here at Grace Evan. And while I was away, a, a friend died. And his funeral was held Friday, and I missed it by a day. But if you have lost someone that you love, perhaps in your mind way too soon, What words in the English language could be more beautiful to hear than these? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. That's why Jesus came, to make sure that everyone who's looked on Jesus and believed on him will in, on that last day be raised up. But never forget don't miss this, that these glorious words are addressed only to people who look on the Son and believe in Him. This promise contained in verse 40 is only for those who come to me to refuse him is to perish come come now don't wait another moment all those who come to me I will never cast out. <clears throat> Our Father, would you um, thrill the souls of your people 
by the promises contained in these few verses. Would you allow the souls of your people to expand as we consider the great scheme of redemption that the Father has set in motion by sending his Son to make sure that none of those that you have loved from all eternity would ever be lost and that you will have them into your presence for all eternity because of the finished work of Christ on their behalf. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet embraced that Savior, would you allow them to see the beauty behind this gospel? A gospel that points to Jesus Christ who says to his audience, whoever comes to me, I will never, no never, cast them out. Might the beauty of that invitation draw men irresistibly to the crucified Christ. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.